Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on May 27th, 2022 from the historic Dock Street Theater here at Spoleto Festival 2022 in Charleston. That's right, folks. I'm here visiting my, my chum AT. And just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. But not Spoleto. But not Spoleto. If they can hear you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no more prompts. <laughs> you guys get the real look. This episode features analysis from this week's first Congressional District Republican debate with College of Charleston Dean Gibbs Knotts. We also have new polling data from the Winthrop poll about how South Carolinians are feeling and who they think are the coolest politicians in the state. And what's happening with gun reform in Washington? We have an update. In business, we also have an update on the state's tourism industry as we kick off the start of the summer travel season. My state park people will want to tune in here for sure. And also the state found an extra billion dollars to budget with. By found, I mean new tax revenue, but still, we got some details about that in business. And in medical, we hear from Prisma mental health professionals about talking to your children about tragic events like the Texas shooting that has affected all of us this week. And a programming note, we will not have a podcast next Tuesday since we will be observing Memorial Day on Monday. And then your boy will be on the campaign trail in the 7th Congressional District Tuesday and Wednesday, so stay tuned for that reporting. And don't worry, folks, this episode is holiday-sized pod. That's right, it's big, so if you're listening on the beach, on the road, at the pool, we're here for you. But also, be sure to take a moment this weekend to remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice while serving our country. And of course, we want to hear your stories. That's why we have a voicemail box set up to hear about your life during these mm, more certain times. Though, it's always kind of uncertain. You can leave us a voice message at 803-563-7169. Leave us your name. Uh, where you're calling from, and maybe a brief message about how you're doing in this economy. We asked you about that the other week. We want to get some calls about folks about how inflation, rising gas prices, all these things are affecting you. We're super interested. Is it affecting your summer holiday travel plans? We want to know. Maybe you're out and about at the beach or at the pool, like I said. Give us a call if you're chilling out. 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is low, according to county-level data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. For the week ending May 21st, there were 7,044 cases and three deaths. Cases were up 24% week over week and deaths were down 82%. There are 199 South Carolinians hospitalized with COVID-19, 26 are in intensive care, and 8 are on ventilators. Week over week, hospitalizations are up 51%, and intensive care and ventilated patients are each up about 30% week over week. Currently, 54.8% of eligible South Carolinians are fully vaccinated. And remember, you can get free rapid COVID tests from the federal government delivered to your door by going to covidtest.gov. This week, there was the only first congressional district debate. Yeah, pump up the jams, that's right. Despite SCETV's efforts to host a debate, there wasn't a date that both candidates could agree to, and a similar issue arose with the Democratic gubernatorial candidates and the state party, as well as the Black Caucus, which is why we're not doing that debate either. Just a little programming note there. However, we're here to talk about a debate that did take place, and that was Monday night at Burke High School in Charleston. Not in the first congressional district. 
ironically enough. On stage was incumbent Congresswoman Nancy Mace, the 2018 Republican nominee Katie Arrington, and long-shot candidate Lynn's Piper Loomis. A panel of questioners, including Gibbs Nuts, who's the Dean of the School of Humanities and Social Sciences at the College of Charleston, peppered the group with questions for an hour. Well, not Piper Loomis, who, when responding to the first question, dramatically endorsed Arrington and stormed off the stage. Here's Knotts recounting that moment with me on This Week in South Carolina. Yeah, I had no prior knowledge that that was going to happen, so that really took me and the other folks on stage by surprise. First off, the audience was going crazy. Uh, there was a lot of Arrington supporters, real vocal. It was like a mini Trump rally. Uh, Gavin in a lot of ways. And then I initially, then after, after sort of it settled, I started to panic because we had 15 questions, which would have been more than enough for three people. But then when you only have two people and they still have the same amount of time to respond, uh, you know, I was having trouble even listening to the responses of the candidates because I was scribbling questions down really quick and we were exchanging them with the other panelists, but we survived. We added a couple questions, but uh, yeah, I did not, I've never seen that before. And it was, you know, probably going to be the only debate. So really kind of the biggest venue for uh, Lens to sort of do that and make the Arrington endorsement, but definitely took uh, us by surprise and seemed to take Nancy Mace by surprise. Not sure as much about Katie Arrington, whether she knew or not, but it was Mm -hmm. made for a very interesting start to the debate. Yeah, having been a debate moderator myself and been on those debate stages, uh, can I imagine how nerve-wracking that would have been? Because you are trying to juggle time, you're making sure everyone's in line, and and then all of a sudden you're a person down. So that that's right. Well, the question we added was, you know, one of the ones was, do you? Why do you think you're the best person to be Annie Andrews because she's the likely Democratic? She's the only person running on the Democratic side. The next question we had in the queue was, what's Joe Biden's biggest mistake? And given the tenor of that debate. That would have been a fun question. We didn't get to it, mm-hmm. but you could see, uh, you know, those two candidates would have probably gone on for a really long time, exceeded time explaining what they are frustrated about with Joe Biden. And so that was the next thing. But it was a, it was a really interesting debate. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the rest of the debate, what were some big takeaways there? What were some of the big uh, jabs that you thought uh, landed from either Mar- uh, Arrington or Mays? Yeah, I mean, Arrington, you know, could have been on, uh, you know, a nightly Fox News show or at a Trump rally. So, you know, she talked about everything from whether pigs should give birth standing up or laying down, criticizing Mace on some funding that government funding that I think she must have voted for at some point or allegedly voted for or something like that. Uh, But uh, but yeah, just a lot of like to me, the question that really stuck with me is we asked something about. Are you willing to work with the other side, even when it means you're not going to get everything you want as a Republican? And Mace is like, absolutely. That's her bread and butter. That's kind of she she sort of feels like I'm in a district that's a little bit of a swing district. I have to be able to work with Democrats when it's best for South Carolina. Arrington, completely different. She's like the Democrats are unhinged. Uh, We can't work with them. This is, uh, you know, basically we have to sort of we can't compromise. And so that really, to me, sort of showed the biggest differences between the two. Mace has a conservative voting record. Uh, she's endorsed some policies like legalization of marijuana. This may be a little bit out of state step with her conservative voting record. Uh, but Arrington was, I thought, an effective speaker. She uh, could command the room. But sort of when you look deeper at some of her answers, you know, she was, you know, Definitely singing from the Donald J. Trump 
uh, hymnal or playbook, whichever, whichever, whichever metaphor you like. Mm -hmm. And Gibbs, just to kind of start wrapping up here, I want to talk about the Winthrop poll that came out this week from your good colleague Scott Huffman up there at Winthrop University, uh, political, political science professor and the poll director there. And one of the big findings from his poll was that the general population that he polled found that 47% of respondents said the 2020 presidential election was fair, 45% said it wasn't, kind of going back to what we were talking about here about stopping this deal. Uh, what do you see for the future of our country, our state, when you start seeing numbers like that and people really believing that the 2020 election wasn't fair? It makes me really worried. I mean, you have to have you know faith in the election system, and when people start to question that, and obviously when you know it's, it's, it's like sports or anything else, if you know when your team loses, you never you're always going to blame it on 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 the refs or the umpires or the system. You know it's, it sort of becomes you know sort of integrity and, and the system and faith and belief in the system is lost. And so those numbers were concerning to me, and, and obviously. You know, you just, I mean, look, look, I mean, Republicans aren't questioning when Republicans won. They're questioning when it was really, really close or when Democrats won. Uh, is our election system perfect? Of course, it's not perfect. There's always ways for improvement and both sides need to come together and make sure the right people are voting. But uh, but but overall, when, when people, serious people, nonpartisan people have studied it and looked at it, you know, there's there's very little evidence of widespread voter fraud. Uh, and, and, and there's really very little evidence, if any, that voter fraud is changing election outcomes. And so uh, let's let's continue to figure out how to make it better. But, you know, South Carolina voters can feel confident that their vote counts and that there's not some kind of underlying scheme to sort of have one part advance one party over the other. And just a note, that debate was televised by WCIV in Charleston, which is owned by Sinclair Broadcast Group. And remember, early voting starts statewide May 31st. You can find locations and details by visiting scvotes.org or your county's election commission website. Next up, a new Politico morning consult poll conducted entirely after the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, is a snapshot of the mood of American voters right now. Some of the findings include that 88% of Americans support background checks on all gun sales. 75% support a national database with information about each gun sale. 81% support closing the gun show loophole by requiring background checks. And 54% support equipping teachers and staff with concealed firearms. Now, will anything happen in Congress? Well, Senator Lindsey Graham tweeted that he welcomes a debate in the U.S. Senate about any and all measures that my colleagues believe will have an effect. Let's debate and vote, quote, but the AP reports that Democrats' first attempt to do something post-Buffalo and Uvalde failed after Senate Republicans, including Senator Graham and Tim Scott, voted to block the House-passed domestic terrorism bill. It died 47 to 47, far short of the 60 votes needed to take up the bill to, quote, debate and vote, as Graham tweeted. And if you're thinking this is a new bill in reaction to the shootings, well, it was first conceived after the Las Vegas mass shooting in 2017, when, if you might remember, 61 people were gunned down in the deadliest mass shooting in American history by one individual. But this bill, it would fill the gaps in the intelligence sharing among the Justice Department, the Department of Homeland Security, and the FBI so that officials can better track and respond to the growing threat of white extremist terrorism. The bill would require each agency to open offices specifically dedicated to those tasks and create an interagency task force to combat the infiltration of white supremacy in the military. 
Republicans say the bill doesn't place enough emphasis on combating domestic terrorism committed by groups on the far left. Now, keeping with this AP report, a small bipartisan group of about 10 senators who have sought to negotiate legislation on guns met Thursday afternoon for the second time searching for any compromise that could win approval in Congress. They narrowed to three topics, background checks for guns purchased online or at gun shows, red flag laws designed to keep guns away from those who could harm themselves or others, and programs to bolster security at schools and other buildings. So just a little update there on what's going on with gun reform in Congress. Gridlock. And on the way out, we have a first Congressional District update. Katie Arrington released her second TV ad of the cycle on Friday titled Replacement. According to the campaign, the 30-second spot is part of a six-figure ad buy and will air in both the Charleston and Savannah media markets. And it highlights the buyer's remorse so many in the low country are experiencing with Nancy Mace. And again, that's per Arrington's campaign. And the Post and Courier confirmed that Democratic Super PAC 314 Action will be investing in the 1st Congressional District this year. The group sank more than half a million dollars in the 2018 race, boosting Joe Cunningham and blasting Arrington on offshore drilling. As you know, if you listen to this podcast, a group of three House and three Senate lawmakers are part of a conference committee hashing out the details of the state budget that goes into effect on July 1st. The conference committee held its first meeting this week, where they heard from Frank Rainwater, the director of the State Revenue and Fiscal Affairs Office. Rainwater gave updated revenue numbers from the Board of Economic Advisors to the group so they can take the numbers into consideration when crafting the final version of the budget. Thanks to continued double-digit revenue growth, the influx of money from the federal stimulus, and organic growth, lawmakers have a total of nearly $6 billion in additional revenue total to use for the upcoming fiscal year. Here's Frank talking about the situation. We're approaching $13 billion in revenue. But again, we think this is the peak. Next year is going to be a lower growth, return to normal. And so uh, we think that, and then we think in 24, we're going to grow again. So this is really the peak. We're hoping the feds are right and have more of a soft landing, but that's part of the concern we have. We don't overpromise, given that Ukraine situation is going on. We've got inflation the feds trying to deal with uh, and other factors out there. Uh, we got a lot of headwinds that we really didn't have in February. So we think uh, we're at a one-time high and we're trying to be cautious as we go forward. So as a result, Mr. Chairman, um, the BEA raised its revenue forecast this year for fiscal 22. You have an additional $952.1 million in surplus money. Uh, we did raise, we were still cautious for next year, but being, uh, but being so far ahead this year, um, we struggled with what to do next year, given the headwinds. But the board did raise next year's estimate by $335 million. So you have an additional uh, almost $1.3 billion more than you had when each of your bodies were working on the budget. So again, $1.9 billion in new recurring revenue for the fiscal year 23 budget process and forecasted surpluses totaling $4 billion from last fiscal year and this year. Again, that's a total of about $6 billion in additional revenue available to appropriate. But of course, there are headwinds and concerns about how to use this windfall. Former House Ways and Means Committee Chairman turned House Speaker Merle Smith spoke about a cautious approach to the current financial climate. 
usually in those of us who've been around for a while, when we have these record revenues and the surplus at the end of the year, it's usually an exciting time for us. And we generally go on spending sprees when that happens. I, I, I have concerns as we move forward. I am, I, I, you know, I think our economy in this state is strong. It's resilient, and it's from the work of all of us that sat around this table for years and enacted policies that turned ourselves into a productive economy. But I, I, I am going to be very cautious going through this process this time because I, I, I see headwinds, and I read, and I see the inflation, and I see the predictions from a number of economists. I was reading in the paper this weekend from the Wall Street Journal, uh, kind of a warning that more economists are, are starting to think that we're heading towards a recession. And the one thing I don't ever want to experience again is what we experienced in 2008. And you know the calls I got from, from people whose families had, were in nursing homes and, and the voluntary uh, programs at HHS that was cut, the education funding that was cut. And you know, I, I think we have an opportunity, and Mr. Mr. Chairman, you said it right, this is the people's money. And we need to, t we need to uh, make sure that we are responsible and, and have a fiduciary duty to, these, to the taxpayers of the state. And I think, you know, when we look at this and with this new revenue, we need to be cautious on how we spend it, if we spend it, and we need to have discussions about making sure we prepare for any downturn in the economy. And really quick, here's Frank talking about one revenue category that is still seeing exceptional growth. What do you think it is? Take a listen. Alcohol liquors are growing double digits. How, you know, I don't, are people really drinking that much more? Um, the answer is yes. yes. <laughs> so um, that's why I have the alcohol <laughs> Moving on. Brown liquor. Tourism is a $20 billion plus industry in our state, from the mountains to the shore and everywhere in between in the Palmetto State. While the industry began a strong post-pandemic recovery last year, it faces new headwinds with inflation pressures and gas averaging $4.27 a gallon as we start the summer travel season. So I caught up with Dwayne Parrish, Director of Parks, Recreation and Tourism for the state, on This Week in South Carolina to talk tourism spending and the latest on state parks, including new ones set to come online in the coming months. Here's Dwayne talking about the state of the industry. Things are going very well. If you'd asked me a year ago, they're much better than I expected. 2021, while sort of up and down a little bit, finished very, very strong. Outdoor recreation became sort of the preferred engagement for people traveling. That's still the case today. 2022 has started out, you know, I've learned not to try to predict too much, but mm -hmm. it could be a record year for us. Uh, you know, as bad as 2020 was, 2022 looks the other way. And then when we're looking at the revenues, I mean, how did last year shape up? And do you think kind of what you're saying, I don't want to predict anything, but maybe what you're looking at in terms of spring break, uh, maybe early bookings for summer, how things are looking right now? Um, things look very good for the summer. AAA has even said that, you know, it's maybe the best Memorial Day weekend ever hmm. um, for, for people traveling. I certainly believe that, particularly in the South, our gas prices are still while high, still low compared to some other parts of the country. Um, I do believe the $5 mark may cause some pause with people, but not stop travel. Um, you know, we haven't been above five in the Southeast really, but, um, but so far it really has not slowed it down at all. Um, future reservations look very good for both Memorial Day weekend and, and throughout the summer. I expect that to continue uh, at least for the next three to six months. 2022 should be a record year for tourism, barring some unforeseen circumstance. Now you never know what's out there, whether it be COVID or a hurricane or the likes, but 
so far, so good. Knock on wood. It's encouraging to hear. How was our spring break, Dwayne? Looking back, is, can you uh, maybe make any assumptions based on what we saw this year? Yeah, very strong. Hotel occupancy was sort of mirrored 2019 statewide, mm-hmm. um, even stronger on the coast. Uh, what's changed uh, dramatically is hotel room rates are up significantly from the spring of 2019. Demand When demand's strong, the rates are going to go up, and that's what's happened. And, of course, now you have gas prices and inflation and other things have gone up. But, but certainly expect to spend more, but you're going to have a great time because if you've been cooped up for a year, it's a great time to get out and enjoy some of what South Carolina has to offer. Dwayne, looking more towards what we have here in the state, the outdoors especially, state parks really took off during the pandemic. I want to ask you about just how you guys are keeping up with the popularity of these state parks. What's maybe in the budget? What do you expect to see uh, to improve these conditions because they have become so popular. As soon as we reopened in, um, in May of 2020, we had people waiting at the gates, and that's still the case today. Um, state parks have been extremely busy, very popular. Uh, we had um, been spending the last several years catching up on deferred maintenance, and that's still the case today. We also have five new parks coming in the next couple of years, which will help with some of the capacity. Um, they're spread out throughout the state, but really excited about state parks. Um, they've become, as I mentioned earlier, a preferred engagement for a lot of travelers. We have a lot to offer in state parks. And then, of course, um, like you're saying, five new state parks. That's pretty exciting to add to the repertoire. Uh, yeah, very much so. It is. We, we are fortunate to get uh, – we have one on Lake Murray in the middle of the state. Uh, we have one Misty Lake, which is up in the Aiken area, uh, Ramsey Grove, which is in the down in the Georgetown area. And we have May Forest, which is a, a, a former convent that overlooks the Charleston Harbor. And then we have the Black River Project, which is actually a series of seven different sites along the Black River that are connected by water, which is a little bit new for us. That's a, a state park unlike any other we have today, but really excited about getting that open next year. And uh, if you're into kayaking and paddling into a special place along the river, that's that's a, a great a great place to go. And just a note, guys, there were budget requests for them to update a lot of the accommodations at state parks talking about cabins and other places and accommodations, campsites, all that good stuff should be getting renovated in the coming months and years. So be prepared. And Dwayne was also telling me that the agency has started marketing west of the Mississippi for the first time, specifically targeting Texas with advertising. And even though it hasn't been much, there has been a significant amount of interest on par with some of the biggest states that feed our state, like Ohio and the Northeast. You can catch the full interview and more on youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV. Howdy, y'all. The past two weeks have been distressing. Even though we're hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Buffalo and Uvalde, the news hasn't stopped. We see those smiling faces of those folks who just went shopping for groceries in Buffalo and those sweet fourth graders and their teachers in Texas. The interviews have been absolutely heartbreaking. For those of us who have lived through and remember Sandy Hook in 2012 or have children or young ones in our lives, it's just been a nightmare. But during such difficult times, communication is very important. And that's why several mental health professionals with Prisma Health held a media call this week to discuss communication strategies for those with young children who are trying to understand this senseless tragedy. Honestly, these tips are beneficial for all of us as we continue to process these tragedies. Here's Dr. Pete Loper, a father of four, a pediatrician, and adolescent psychologist at Prisma Health Midlands. Uh, When we're looking at these types of circumstances, less is often more. Um, And I recognize that there are a number of uh, folks here who are uh, working so hard to cover the story, but 
um, oftentimes for our children, they can become a little bit overwhelmed, uh, especially when stories are re really involve issues that are beyond their locus of control, um, outside of their even their circle of influence. Um, and certainly, this this story and th this tragedy is is definitely uh, really outside of all of our control, and 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 certainly is is very disempowering in that sense. But uh, particularly the younger kids who are still working on navigating developmentally their sense of will and empowerment um, in circumstances where uh, they pick up on distress from the adults in the home environment, it reinforces a, a sense of powerlessness and distress in them, or it may. Um, the other thing, too, is when we're talking about uh, tragedies that involve death, keeping in mind that children less than seven years of age typically have not developed sufficiently to have a, a clear understanding of death or, or really more so the permanence of death, that when somebody passes, they're, they're dead and gone and, and they're not going to come back. When you're engaging with your children, really anchoring that conversation in their developmental age and stage is super important. Again, keeping in mind kids less than seven aren't going to really uh, conceptualize or understand death, um, uh, the permanence of death at least. And then when children ask questions, it's very, very important to acknowledge the question, uh, but you don't have to give the whole story. It's It could be really, really helpful to acknowledge the question, engage in answering that question, make sure that you're answering the question sufficiently uh, to the child's satisfaction, but you only have to give them the high points. You don't have to give all of the, the specific details. Dr. Loper also spoke about collective trauma. That's something we all experience during these huge news stories like this or events like 9-11. But Loper said sticking with local news coverage gives a better understanding and connection to situations that we don't have control over. But you really need to know when to tap the brakes on such news coverage, folks. And I know that can be hard because you want to keep up and understand the latest. But Dr. Loper also said there are some signs that children may display when they need help. Avoiding some withdrawal behaviors. Uh, so if, if, you're, if you're typically uh, a confident, self-confident child uh, who's fully engaged in uh, their uh, extracurricular activities and in school and engaging with their peers, all of a sudden starts to be really persistent in seeking reassurance. That could be a, a nonspecific sign that perhaps, uh, especially if they're, they're really following this cover, the coverage of the story very closely, that this, is really, this story is really starting to have an impact on them. So that, that uh, reassurance seeking is often uh, an initial indicator of an anxiety process, or in some cases, a, a depressive disorder. Um, and so, and, and when we talk about trauma and we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, or we talk about an acute stress reaction, any kind of trauma-mediated experience um, is we, the way that we conceptualize it, especially in child and adolescent psychiatry is, that we really conceptualize it as an anxiety disorder. And so by definition, uh, consistent with any anxiety disorder, the, the telltale sign that perhaps they're getting too much uh, news exposure, they're having an adverse response to the news exposure they're getting or to the story is avoidance and withdrawal behavior that can often manifest as that reassurance seeking. As for the fear of dropping your kids off at school, that's understandable. But changing such behaviors is not healthy. We also have to anchor back in the reality of the world that we live in, where um, as tragic as this event is, uh, these circumstances uh, are, are uh, they do occur with much less frequency. Um, and, and they occur very, very in circumstances few and far between. Um, so we have to continue to reinforce that. And at which time we allow these circumstances to evoke such fear that we, we remove our children from the school setting or we prevent our school from uh, our kids from going to school, then we're really reinforcing the power of that activity and that action that this, uh, this uh, individual engaged in. We're reinforcing the power of the tragedy. What we really need to do is keep things in perspective 
And if a parent is really having those intrusive thoughts about sending their child to school, my best advice would be to, to um, take a break from the newsreel for a little while, um, take some space uh, from the from the tragedy that is the story, uh, and and recenter on those areas that you have control over, um, and and specifically uh, recenter on that idea that uh, this is an isolated incident that occurred elsewhere. Dr. Loper says that when talking with adolescents, talk to them directly, ask how they're doing, ask if they want to talk. Advise them to limit exposure to the news so they don't get caught up in it as well. And the rule of thumb for younger kids is once you know that they're aware of the situation, that's the time to engage. Ask them if they have questions and describe the situation in a limited way. Don't give all the details, but answer questions and let them know that it's not something to worry about every day. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and we want to hear your stories as well. Tell us how you're handling things. We just mentioned it's been a, a busy week, a busy couple of weeks, but a little stressful. We're hopeful that we can bring some levity to your lives right now, but we'd also love to hear from you. We, we, we drastically need a call from you. <laughs> uh, we have no calls, so I know we've had a long podcast anyway, but we'll still have a chance to talk. But you can talk to us at 803-563-7169. It's free. We know inflation is crushing everybody, but we've kept the prices so low. I mean, you can you call for free. Bargain basement prices. 803-563-7169. <laughs> and Gavin, I, I do. I want to. I want to. Yes, we're here at AT in Dock Street <laughs> Theater. I came down to see you yes. during this very difficult time I, I for you. I want to just thank you that <laughs> <laughs> you would come down here and see me. It has nothing to do with vacation or no, anything. No, this isn't a vacation. This is work. You're on the clock here. Yes. You're on the clock. And so I appreciate that minutes. you came down here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yes, we are at Spoleto. That's why this whole time it sounded a little, little bit different. <laughs> um, I've been working like crazy. We've already recorded an opera twice. Wow. We, we just started recording chamber music. We did Bradley's live show this morning. It's It's been a lot. Yeah. So, so for people that don't know Spoleto, it's an electric music festival. Is that correct? <laughs> It's kind of like Coachella. Yeah, it's just like Coachella, <laughs> except um, mm-hmm. much more Stradivari mm-hmm. involved here. But uh, yeah, so Gavin Gavin came down nice enough to come down and, and make this easier on me coming yes. here. It's, so I, I really do appreciate it. But Gavin, I do have to say, I blew it no. coming down here. I, You're not known for blowing, like, I blew messing it here. things I, up. I packed my work life. Looks it is great. impeccably packed. Looks okay? amazing. And, but uh, I forgot oh, a no. belt. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you tell me? I would have brought you a belt. Uh, Caitlin, Caitlin is bringing me a belt this Sunday. Oh, but um, when are you wearing a belt in the first place? Every day I wear a belt. Let's get a load of this guy, folks. Every day <laughs> you're wearing shorts right now. You're not wearing a belt, but I'm. I'm I should be wearing nicer shorts. I'm wearing uh, like athletic shorts, athleisure shorts. Well, it's, you know, TGIF casual yeah, I Friday. Yeah, T G I freaking F. You know what I mean? So I don't have a belt. I was trying to wear shorts that are just a little bit too big, and they were they've been falling down the whole time. Yeah, yeah. So if you see me around Charleston before Sunday, and I look and I look unprofessional, throw a dang belt at me please <laughs> do we want to tell people what size or are we just, 34 what? 35 yeah. belts yeah. okay you, know, you have to get bigger belts you know that's it's just what it is every time i go to the gap which i recommend for straight up great tried and true belts you have to size up mm. and i don't that's not some sort of like it's making you, myself feel you, better you about don't want to be at the last no. hole you know everyone can see that little rung just <laughs> holding on for dear life 
You want to you want to be back there some. You want to be comfortable. So uh, yeah, I got a 34, 35 waist. So if you got Same. like a, a 35 or 38 belt, set it on down. Throw throw it out the window at me. You know what I mean? Dock Street. They'll know. They'll know. We have people waiting for you at Dock Street. I, I, yeah, I want. Uh, and if I already have one, I'll sign your belt for you. Oh my you know gosh! I mean? Wow. I, I'm folks. willing to do it. Just don't talk to me. But I will sign it. Just hold it up. <laughs> I'll know what you're. I know what you mean. Uh, I will say that I think forgetting a belt is probably. When it comes to forgetting things, that's probably on the uh, the lower half of the spectrum. I, I don't know because so think about Perhaps. it, right? I hook my keys on yes. my pants. I I put I have a pocket knife in my pants mm-hmm. and my wallet and my phone. Yeah, these pants. I mean, these pants were hitting. They the floor are just fat. yeah, they're I mean, dropping. Yeah, it you bad. are. It was tough. Violating people. Pull up those pants, young hey. man. Hey, pull those pants up. They <laughs> I'm, say. I'm surprised they let me in the Dock Street Theater. <laughs> quite honestly, I do say you do feel naked walking around without a belt on. You just feel out of place. If your shirt's tucked in, especially, you're just well, like, who is this guy? I'm not. I'm not a With shirt your, tucker. I'm. I'm against it. You know wow, what I mean? So you're already like, picking all the rules anyway. <laughs> uh, rules out the Sometimes window. Sometimes I don't wear a belt when I'm wearing a suit. You have pants that fit better than mine. I've Some, noticed. Yes. Are you uh, calling me fat? No. Is that a fat thing? No, I'm saying that you're better at choosing clothes than am I. But it'd be weird if I didn't have a belt on and I was tucked in. You'd be like, if, it'd be like having a buttoned up polo shirt and no belt. I'd be like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Who's this beltless Get him out of here. psychopath? Exactly. <laughs> and I'm all about not wearing socks, but belt. Oof. Do you have socks? You do have socks. I'm wearing okay. tennis shoes right now. Te- now, don't call it ne- now. I will say We're not going to do the sneaker debate right now, yes. are we? Have I talked about this here before? I'll say running shoes. My what, Caitlin, there's nothing that makes her angrier than when you call them tennis shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, uh, are you going to play tennis right now? No. <laughs> then those are sneakers. <laughs> you know? She hates it. I've never seen her get angrier than that. I hope everyone that sees her and interacts with her listening to this goes and just says it around her and just look at her face while she tries to be polite. You know what I mean? Oh, I love those tennis shoes on She'd you. Be like, mm, yeah, thank you so much. You know, I think maybe the white sneakers could be, cons- you could call those tennis shoes, but then I just call those white sneakers specifically. I call them sneakers. I call, sneakers. I'm, I'm, You're I'm a sneaker hearts. head. I'm a, I'm You're a sneaker, sneaker head. I'm, I'm a sneaker head. I'm an old car guy, apparently. What, 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 I mean, what new stuff are you guys learning no, about? Me? No belt. I'm a noted belt I hater. hate accessories. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think running shoes we can all agree with, right? Running shoes, that is a running shoe. Correct. It is a shoe for running. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll throw this up on, on Twitter and guys, we yeah. can start a poll. <laughs> Hit subscribe. You guys know where we're at. Well, uh, Gavin, thank you for coming. Thank you for yes. listening, everybody. Just know that I am here. I'm working hard every day. Yes. No days off. I miss you. And uh, <laughs> it's, The hardest working man in show business this month in South Carolina is A.T. Shire. That, I'm getting that award at the end of this month. <laughs> the hey. James Brown Award. Yeah, it, that's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they put a they put a jacket on me and I look tired and then I throw it off and but I the, accept the award. And the funny part is you accept it while you're working. Exactly. You don't yeah, stop. Yeah, no, those it's are billable hysterical. hours. Yeah. Those are billable hours. So guys, uh, just just tweet at us. Call in, please. Please. Please call in. 3566769. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and and have a good weekend. And I don't know what day it is. It could be Monday. I love I this know. journey so for you just guys. See, see this you later. will be AT for the next few weeks, so just bear with us, folks. But we love hearing from you. That's why we have a voicemail box set up. 803-563-7169. You can do it in your sleep or while you're driving, but pull over. Don't do it while you're driving. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. <laughs> and you can also stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and South Carolina Public Radio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. We know, we know. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Hey, partner. <laughs>
Howdy, partner. Hey, partner. Oh, hey, partner. Y'all partners? <laughs> the word is making no sense anymore. Uh, oh, no, okay. I'm a partner in this law firm. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, Jackson, Jackson, and Jackson. We're all partners. 